Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure Jason will be back next week, but we'll know for sure uh, here in the next day or so. But he was, he's been out, out more walking, and I think he's in a softer cast now that has a little bit more mobility. So, But um, as we've gone through the book of Judges, and going back and listening to Matt Gilchrist last week, and listening to, uh, to Jason teach the class, one of the things that uh, continues to be the... The, uh, the story over and over again is that the cycle keeps repeating itself uh, with the people of Israel. And, and uh, uh, you know, we all have a past. We all have a, uh, you know, we all come from different backgrounds. One of the things I appreciate is, is that my parents decided that uh, they both were raised in um, and not the best situations. And they said they were going to break that cycle. You know, it wasn't perfect. Uh, they still made mistakes, uh, but they wanted to break the cycle. And, and I'm thankful today, and my brothers uh, are, you know, are, I hope, grateful if they understand the, you know, the cycle that was broken. But sometimes it takes extreme things to do it. But one of the things that we see with the Israelites here, or the people of Israel here, is it's like, how many things does it have to take before you're going to finally wake up? And we see this over and over and over again. We see the cycle repeating itself. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we have to be careful with sin. Because one of the statements that I made one time, a couple of people have asked me to, you know, to, to quote it since then, is that one of the things I've learned about Scripture is, is that when we get, um, when, when sin takes over our, our, our entire life, irrational things begin to look rational, you know. Uh, we can see that all throughout Scripture, what happens when sin takes over our life. So one of the things that we're going to look at today is looking at the life of Jabatha. And he's called an outcast. Okay, He is considered to be an outcast. And his story is found in Exodus chapter 10 through 12. Chapters 10, 11, and 12. But he is going to, going to be someone that's going to get the opportunity to be able to bring the people of Israel back out of bondage again. And to be able to do some things. But he definitely has a life and he definitely has a past. So one of the things, um, uh, I have to speak at two or three things this week. And I kind of have the sinus thing going on. So instead of me reading uh, these three chapters, because I want us to go through all three of these chapters tonight. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to take a moment here. And I'm going to cheat. I have it on, I have Bible Gateway up on my phone. So I'm going to hit play. And you can follow along with it. But I want us to hear all three chapters of that story being read and, and being discussed. So, so it's Judges chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 1 um, because about verse 6 is when it starts talking about Japheth. And uh, we'll go through chapter 12. So I'm going to go ahead and turn that on. After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar named Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo, brothers to That's the best name ever, son of Dodo. <laughs> He led Israel twenty-three years, then he died and was buried in Shemir. He was followed by Jair of Gilead, who led Israel twenty-two years. He had thirty sons who rode thirty donkeys. They controlled thirty towns in Gilead, which to this day are called Havoth Jair. When Jair died, he was buried in Hamon. Again the Israelites did the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram, 
the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For eighteen years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Monites oppressed you, and you cried out to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. It's supposed to be an auto, so let's see if it goes over. So he has a cool voice, doesn't he? It's actually how I talk first thing in the morning. So I want <laughs> Okay, we're going over to the left, okay. Judges 11. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob. <coughs> where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you said. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, What do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. Jephthah sent back messengers to the Ammonite king, saying, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. 
For when they came up out of Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and on to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Give us permission to go through your country. But the king of Edom would not listen. They sent also to the king of Moab, and he refused. So Israel stayed at Kadesh. Next they traveled through the wilderness, skirted the lands of Edom and Moab, passed along the eastern side of the country of Moab, and camped on the other side of the Arnon. They did not enter the territory of Moab, but the Arnon was its border. And Israel sent messengers to Sion, king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon, and said to him, Let us pass through your country to our own place. Sion, however, did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. He mustered all his troops and encamped at Jahaz and fought with Israel. Then the Lord, the God of Israel, gave Sion and his whole army into Israel's hands, and they defeated them. Israel took over all the land of the Amorites who lived in that country, capturing all of it from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the desert to the Jordan. Now since the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven the Amorites out before his people Israel, what right have you to take it over? Will you not take what your God, Chemosh, gives you? Likewise, whatever the Lord our God has given us, we will possess. Are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever quarrel with Israel or fight with them? For 300 years Israel occupied Heshbon, Arawer, the surrounding settlements, and all the towns along the Arnon. Why didn't you retake them during that time? I have not wronged you. But you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide to dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. The king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. Then Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated twenty towns from Eroer to the vicinity of Manith as far as Abel Keramim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels, she was no more time. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had done, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite tradition that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, 
the guy's name that's doing the reading's name is Mac McAleen, Max McAleen or something like that. I think it's his name. I think that version there is on Bible Gateway. So also you probably in reading that in NIV, if you have NIV, uh, they've updated a little bit of the NIV so um, where I think it says scoundrels. It says adventurous in the 1994 edition of NIV so a little bit of changes there but some pretty light reading there, you know, pretty uplifting like the rest of it. Um, I listened to uh, when I listened to Jason introduce the book of Judges. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, it's like, yeah, I knew. Yeah, somebody came. Somebody came that first night, and and I don't see them here tonight. <laughs> they were just like, they were like, you know, I really was having a bad week, so I thought I would just really come to this class to be uplifted. <laughs> and he's like, "It's a tough day." <laughs> That's what he said. So, <laughs> so he said it, it, it even ended, you know, kind of tough, but. 
As we look at this and we see the life of Jabatha, we're going to take a few minutes just to look through uh, some things in his life and things that we can learn from it as well. Uh, we see that, you know, automatically uh, that we see that uh, um, as he's introduced in chapter 10, you know, we're, we're getting to see again of the cycle repeating itself. The, the, you know, the people of, of Israel are are falling back into this and, and uh, falling back into worshiping other gods and making other things their priorities. And we see them get to the point to where they throw all of, all of it out of their house again and now they're, they're begging for help. And God's having this conversation with them and saying, at first he's saying no. No, because you keep doing this and you keep doing that and I, you know, I, I've had enough. And then one of the verses there that kind of jumps out to me is... is uh, Verse 16 of chapter 10, it says, And then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear misery no longer. Uh, I, I think that verse uh, gives us a good glimpse of what God feels like and looks like when he sees us continue going down a path that isn't to follow him. And, you know, he just says that he couldn't bear their Israel's misery no longer. That's one of the things where... Um, you, you know, uh, having kids and sometimes catching them doing things that aren't right. Sometimes it makes you mad, and sometimes it it makes you ache for what what sin does and what sin causes you to do. And and you're and you you know and it just so for uh, for God to see His people um, to continue making these same uh, choices and and falling away and in the way that they're sinning. Uh, has got to has got to wear on him, and and you know for us it's a great reminder to see though there are moments of when God sees our sincerity, you know there you know we see this there's moments throughout this you know the book of Judges that that God sees that when they are truly truly sorry and they want to serve Him that He lets them back in and 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 for us it's a great way uh, trying to teach. Uh, uh, as a youth minister for, for around 13 years to try to teach students what repentance meant and what that looks like. And, I, you know, the best way of I could teach it is, this, is that moment of when you kind of wake up and you realize that you want to go back to God and this other stuff means nothing to you. That's the moment that they're having here that, that they're dealing with. And, and, and he recognizes that. So then Jabatha is is introduced to us in chapter 11. And one of the things that we see about him is, is that, you know, he, he isn't exactly born in the, in the greatest of situations. He's, you know, he's called a mighty warrior there at the beginning. You know, he's, he's known for that. He's Jabatha, a mighty warrior. So we see that about him. We see that he's definitely uh, someone that is, uh, is you know, is, is knows how to battle. But then also that we see that he had humble beginnings. We see that he was uh, uh, was not born in the best of situations. And because of that, he was basically kind of drove out of his family. You know, he was definitely the black sheep because of, of something that, not that he did. You know, he didn't, he didn't cause that. He was born out of a situation that his dad did, but he still was pushed out of the family, pushed off to the side. And, and we see here that... Um, that you know, it, it makes the comment here. It says that, uh, that that you are not going to get any inheritance in our family. They said because you are are the son of another woman. So Jebetha fled 
uh, from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, uh, where a group of ventures gathered around him and followed him. So he must have had someone that was definitely had a personality that that, that you know that people would follow. He definitely was someone that could lead. Um, so, like I said, and remind us of it, he was someone that was a warrior. And uh, so they begin, and it says in verse 4 there, a, a great thing happens. You know, sometimes when we get desperate, you know, those things that we said we would never do, we might do, you know. Uh, I, I used to say all the time, uh, and especially when we first moved to Indiana and even here, uh, being raised in the South, I do not like wearing a coat. And I used to say all the time, I am not wearing a coat. I don't care how cold it is outside, I'm not going to wear a coat. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. After about year 10, I was like, i got to break. I'm, I'm giving, a, giving this pipe dream up, you know. The first winter here wasn't too bad. I was like, yeah, we'll move a little bit further south from Indianapolis to here because our last winter in Indiana, it snowed like 51 inches. And I was like, I am done with this. We had a driveway that was sloped. And uh, so I would, uh, uh, and it seemed like our last winter there that maybe God was preparing me to move. I don't know. But our last winter there, it, it, uh, it started snowing, it seemed like, on Saturday nights. You know, like, of course. You know, and I'd get up at 2 a.m. because we had a little bit of a slope drive. And, and it was just Caleb and uh, our son and, and, and my wife, Kim, at the time. I'd get out there and I'd shovel the driveway because it was a little bit of a slope driveway getting into our house wherever. So I'd shovel the driveway. And then our staff would have to be there at the church around about 4 or 4.30 to be there to help with the crews when they start getting there to start cleaning the, the property and things like that. So, um, so I don't know how many times, you know, it's 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm, and I'm ticked off because I've been shoveling and it's a slope driveway and I slip and I slide all the way down, you know, down the driveway, you know, and I'm like, that's like, I ain't ever doing this again, you know, making all those. Uh, one, one morning, though, it was, it was kind of crazy. Uh, it was kind of raining that night. We knew it was going to freeze over. I went ahead and drove up, and our, you know, Kim's car was in the garage, and mine was outside the garage on the slope driveway. And I get out there the next morning to get in my truck, and I go out there, and it's out in the middle of the road because it had iced over, and it slid down the, out of the middle of the road. I was like, huh, okay. So got in it, and nobody ever messed with it or anything, or nobody hit it in the middle of the night. That was good. So, but, uh, but I used to say I would never do this. Well, you get to the point where you only be cold for so long. You're like, okay, I'm going I'm to give this... You know, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, this, you know, in a different level, uh, you know, uh, Jabatha, you know, is, is, is has, uh, he has the people of Israel, you know, come to him, go into his land, go to where he's at, and say, we want you to come back and fight for us. We want you to lead us. We want you to battle for us. And, you know, one of the things that, that he says to them is, is uh, didn't you hate me and, and drive me from my father's house? Um, why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? And uh, they're like, hey, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the elders there of Gilead basically are like, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us and fight the Ammonites, and you will be the, uh, the head over, uh, over all in Gilead. So, so they're now like saying, hey, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we got to this point. We want you to come. We want some relief. You've got to come now at this. And so, he's, so he, he decides to go back and... Um, you know the the battle is is about to you know is about to happen here. One of the things that we can learn uh, from Jephthah is you know first of all like I said he's a mighty warrior. Um, he was disowned by his family, and the situation is coming back where he's having the opportunity to come back and maybe prove who he is. And there's a battle that's about to happen, and he's trying to stop the battle a little bit. You know he he uh, um, we see that he knows the history. Of what the Israelites did, he he walks through that in 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 chapter eleven. There, we're kind of explaining 
that this is what they did at their borders and this is why they made the decisions that they made. Um, but he comes to the point to where he knows that he is going to have to battle and fight. And one of the things that we see here is, is that he makes a vow to God. Okay? How many times in our lives have we said, God, if you give me this, I promise I will do this. And sometimes we make big statements with that, you know. Uh, it, it could be the gamut of what that is, you know. Uh, but we see that, that he basically is, is saying that. He's making a vow. He says, if you uh, give, the, uh, give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out the door of, the house, of my house uh, to meet me when I return uh, in triumph from the, uh, from the Ammonites um, will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering made that statement, made that vow. One of the concordances I was reading on this last week and studying for this, one of the things that they uh, said, and I think even uh, Tim Keller might have brought this out also, but just talked about what happens that sometimes that uh, we go on the pretenses of what we think God wants us to say. And maybe part of the situation here, uh, Jabatha was, is that he is the other gods that they would worship. It was a, you know, you give them something, they give you something in return. So maybe that was part of that, was making that some type of a vow like that. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why he did that, you know, uh, and, and had that happen. Possibly, I look at that and go, as a great reminder of when we say we're going to do something. I remember as a kid, I, I was raised uh, where my mom took us to church and my dad didn't take us to church. And we'd go to church camp in South Louisiana uh, when I was a kid, I remember a third grader though, and they, they did things. Louisiana uh, doesn't have uh, uh, Christ Church is an independent Christian church. That's what I was raised in. And there's not a ton of those in Louisiana, and the largest one's probably about 300. Well, I was raised in a small town where there's about 175 of us uh, in our. So a lot of times they did church camp. They did like third through ninth, ninth or third through twelfth grade together. <laughs> and my parents sent me that. I'm not sure that was a good idea, but. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, they had classes for, you know, for the third graders and fourth graders and all that. So I remember going to that. But I also remember this guy from South Louisiana basically screaming at all of us because he's preaching at the night service. And we're in there third graders with all the twelfth graders. And they're trying to get the twelfth graders to come forward and whatever. And he's going off, you know. And he's saying, he's saying all these things, but he's basically telling us all how we're all going to burn in hell and all these things. And we're all sitting here all wide-eyed. And I'm like... Oh, you know, and you, you know, you're kind of getting overwhelmed. And he keeps talking about this, but he talks about, you know, the commitments that we need to be careful that we make. And he's saying all these big statements, and and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, ah, 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 you know. But he tells this one story though that he says, and how many of you wish your parents, if they aren't Christians, don't go to church? How many of you wish they would go to church with you? And and you know, and I I remember I remember raising my hand because my dad didn't go to church with us and. And I raised my hand to that, you know, I'm sitting here, and I can remember today hearing this story. And he says, let me tell you something. Two weeks ago, I was at a camp, and there were two girls there that prayed that they would do anything for their dad to go to church. And those two girls were killed in a car wreck on the way back home from church camp. And their dad, the last two weeks, has been going to church. So when we pray about it, we better mean it. And I was thinking... Dear Heavenly Father... I long for the day that my whole family can go to church together. <laughs> that was my negotiation. I was like, <laughs> I pray that as a whole family, you know, that I can hold my dad's hand when we go to church, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, not, uh, I might have been a third grader, but I was not dumb at that moment. I made some dumb choices, but I, 
But just remember, you know, I mean, but we all make those, you know, we all make commitments or we make vows. And, and he basically wanted us to see that when we said we would do anything for the kingdom, that we better mean it. I get it, you know. And here we see Jabbatha doing the same thing. And he makes a big statement here. And, and honestly, you know, I was reading one commentary and they said that, that some people wonder if he meant like an animal. But they said that he would have, uh, if, if that had been the case... Not until the animal came out would that have been what he sacrificed. So he truly meant the first thing that come out of the house. But again, it's at that moment when you make that commitment. You're, you're sitting there and, and you make that commitment. And as, as we see in the scripture, um, you know, he, he, uh, of course they win the battle. And he comes home and he's victorious. And, and it's that moment that, that, that he, you know, everyone is celebrating. And, and it's the happiest moment. And, uh, you know, for him, it might have been one of those moments that it was a great moment because he gets to come back to the hometown that he was disowned from, and now he's the hero. And one of his best moments is about to become his worst moment. You know, he, he, he recognizes that. He sees his daughter coming out, and he, and he, and he looks at that, and he recognizes uh, what's going on there. You know, and he says, that, you know, it talks about how he rips his shirt there, and he's, you know, at that moment, he, he, he recognizes what's going to have to happen. And as, as he does that, um, one of the things that we can see here is, is that um, even though we don't know the full motivation behind why he made that vow there, you know, he, he kept that vow to God. Um, he did what he said. And, he, and also, one of the things that I can't help but think of reading this is, is that his daughter must have got it, must have understood um, a commitment to God, um, because we see that she understands it, and you know, and and she just says, "My father," she replied, uh, "You have given your word to the Lord. Uh, do to me just as you promised." Now the Lord has avenged uh, you of your enemies, uh, the Ammonites. Uh, but grant me this one request: give me two months to roam the hills with my friends and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. And you know, when we look at that and we think about that, we think about all the things uh, that that she's probably recognizing that, that she's going to miss out on, and what as a as a father, what he has to do. And I just think about, you know, when we when we read through the New Testament and and uh, when we see, you know, uh, Abraham make this vow to God that I'll follow you no matter what you whatever you want me to do, I will do this. I want you to sacrifice, you know, your son is what God says to him. And we know that God stops him from, you know, uh, from being sacrificed. And, and when you start to read this, you kind of think maybe that's going to happen in here. Maybe God's going to say, hey, hey, I know you said that, but. But he didn't stop it. He did not stop that. And, and as it says here, um, he says that you may go, he said, uh, and he let her go for the two months. Uh, she and the uh, she and the girls went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After two months, she returned to her father, uh, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. So one of the things that we see here also is is that she didn't go wild for two months and then come back home. She didn't. She 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 stayed uh, committed, but she understood that, and that and that's a part there of where you know I try to think about that. And one of the things as a youth minister that um, as working with students and still working with families today. And to be honest with you, one of the things I, I pray for for all of us is, is that our houses are authentic inside and out. 
because our kids recognize who we are and they know who's authentic and they know who isn't. And they know if we play games with our faith. We understand, they, they recognize it. They see it. We can only hide it for so long. And I remember, and this is totally different level, okay? But I remember when we had the conversation with Caleb that we were going to move to Webb City from Indianapolis. And Caleb was about four years old at the time. And we sat him down and we said, Caleb, you know, um, your mom and I have, have decided that God has is, is given us the opportunity um, to move to Webb City, uh, Missouri. And, uh, you know, and you're trying to explain this to a four-year-old. And, and he just looked at us and he didn't say a whole lot. And, he, and the only question he really asked was why. And we said it's because it's what God, your mom and I feel like it's what God wants us to do. And we talked about it and we prayed with him about it and we tried our best to explain to him of what was going to happen and how this would work and all that because he was born in, in Raleigh. We were, we were staffed at a church in St. James when he was born. Uh, but really, you know, the, the first memories he really has and remembers is there in, outside of, of Indianapolis. So, so we go and, and uh, you know, we, we do our best to explain to him. But also we wanted him to understand early on that when God tells us to do something, we got to do it. You know, we need to follow and be faithful when God wants us to do something. So we were trying to use that moment, you know, as that. We didn't want to, uh, you know, we, you know, he was pretty much into Spider-Man, so he asked if, if Web City was spelt like Spiderweb was, and we said, no, it's got one more B in it, whatever, so I talked about that. But I remember when the moving company came, and Caleb is a very quiet kid now, but when he was little, man, he, he would talk a lot at times, and he was uh, pretty outgoing at times, and... Uh, so he was in his room, and the you know the moving company's coming in there. Shelby, our daughter, is a month old at this time too, and uh, and the you know the moving company is 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 coming in, and uh, they're packing things up. And Caleb's gone in there, and he's talked to them some while they've been packing his room and playing things. We got busy in the kitchen, and and uh, was watching them in there, and kind of was playing with some toys out there, you know, in there. And he goes into his room, and his room is all boxed up, and it's there's nothing out. And they started moving some of the things out. And he's in there for a little while, and he comes out. And I said, hey, Bubba, what are you doing? And he just looked at me, and he grabbed my hand, and he walks me into his room, and he just takes his hands, and he goes, and he looks at me. And I was like, oh, boy, here's that moment you've been dreading. And I said, buddy, your, uh, all your toys, your bed, everything is in that big truck out in front of the house, and it's going to your new house in Web City. And we'll, when we get there, we're going to set your room up and we're going to do some things a little different with it. But that's where all your stuff is. So it's not gone. It's just packed up in the truck to go to your new house in Web City. Okay. And just trying to walk out. And that was, the whole, that was the end of it. That was the entire thing. So I was kind of getting, you know, waiting for this moment of, of, of tears, whatever. But no, that was pretty much it for him on that, you know. And, and, uh, but again, we kept reminding him that we're doing what God wants us to do, you know. And uh, I mean, there were moments I'm sitting there watching a movie company. I mean, a, a moving company, and and Shelby is in an infant carrier. They're in the living room. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And when she screamed for about six hours across the state of Illinois and first part of Missouri, there were moments that, hey, I was thinking I was glad I was in a different vehicle than Kim because she was with. Her. But B, I was thinking, what have we done? You know, especially when I, you know, the cell phone was ringing. Like, hello, you know. Ah! In the background, so but 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 when I wanted, but we want our kids to see that we want to be um, authentic in our faith, and we want to be real. Um, and one of the things that we see here, though, is is that not only was Jephthah was he a uh, a mighty warrior, 
and we recognize that he was disowned by his family, but that didn't, did not define who he was. Okay? So regardless of our family situation, that does not have to define us of who we are. And the third thing here we see is that he made a commitment to God, and he, he kept through that. And one of the things that it's a good reminder for us is, is that the God that we talk to and we pray to is the same God that Jabbatha made this vow to. It's the same God. And, 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 and he hears our, our hurts. He hears our wants. He, he hears the things that bother us. Uh, but he also knows our heart. And he knows and, and he understands that. And, I, and when I look at this and read this, one of the things that just jumped out to me was is that, that uh, Jabbatha's daughter must have understood that when her dad made a vow that he kept it. And he did. Uh, as painful as that was. So as we look at this, um, there's a couple uh, questions that, um, that I thought that Keller did an excellent job with and I uh, thought that we could just take a few moments just to kind of stop and take a breather for a minute and just around your table maybe talk about a couple of these questions here. Um, uh, and uh, the first question is just to reflect on, and, and you can take a few minutes if you want to and talk about this around your table. Uh, and... Uh, and if you don't have anything to share, you don't have to. But the first question of just to take a moment is, is have you experienced the temptation to worship an idol more uh, because it has not delivered? Uh, and where did it lead you? So the question is, is have you, have you experienced the temptation to worship an idol more because it has not delivered? And where did it lead you? Does that question make sense? Okay. Give you an example. I don't know how many times... Uh, that uh, you know, I've heard people say uh, th- that they know that uh, um, say they're they're addicted to something, okay, and they know that that is not going to help them at all, but they need it and they crave it and they want that and they w- begin to worship whatever that is, even though they know it's not good for them. Sometimes it's in a job, you know, where you get to the point of where you are. Basically, you you know it's not going to get you exactly where everything you want to be, but you. But you go after that harder than anything. That kind of becomes your God. So the question is, is have you ever experienced the temptation to worship an idol more because it has not delivered? And uh, where did it lead you? So that, that's the question there. And, and that's one definitely that we all probably you know think about. Yeah, but the second question here is the one that I really probably feel like probably will, will, will bring more discussion around your table is number two. It says, what do you want God or what... Uh, do you want God or what God gives you? It's a great question for us, and maybe we can talk about that around our table. Do you want God or what God gives you? Do you want God or what God or what God gives you? And which aspects of God's perfection will mediate I mean I mean will you meditate on so that you love him more than than you love his blessings? So the question there for us to reflect on is is um, do you want God or what God gives you? In which aspects of God's perfection will you meditate on so that you love Him more than you love His blessings? It gets, you know, it's one of the things that's risky for us is, is um, making sure that we love God more than the stuff. Um, so the first question there, maybe talk about around your table, is, is do you want God or what God gives you? Okay, let's, uh, let's take a moment just to, just to look at a few things. Um, Tim, Tim Keller makes a, makes a statement or asks a question in his book 
uh, on page 120, he just says, Jabbathus makes us ask, what blind spots do I have? And that's a great question. You know, what blind spots do I have? When we look at Jabbathus' life, you know, what, what blind spots do I have? And, um, and I think that's where we need to be aware of, of who we are. One of the things that I um, have, have had to work on in my, in my own life is, is that I feel like I'm a pretty uh, giving person. And, but other times I, I see that you know, God may, has made me aware that I'm, I'm, I'm selfish about certain things. There's things that through the years that you know, Kim has said, I'm, I'm praying you know, for God to do this in our life. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want that. <laughs> You know, and she's like, "Will you pray with me about that?" And I'm like, "I don't know if I really want to." <laughs> you know, you know, and uh, there's there's just situations that I, I look at and I look at that and I go, "I'm selfish." I, I look at that and go, "You know, if anything, God is is revealed to me that sometimes I am selfish. I, I definitely want things my way. You know, when it's going well and uh, when things." Uh, don't go well. I want to ask why. You might look at that at that at that moment, but that's where we, you know, one of the things to look at is what blind spots do I have to make sure that 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 my prayer life, personally, that, that I have to work constantly to make sure that my prayer life is not selfish. That uh, as Richard Foster talks about in the Celebration Discipline, he says when uh, prayer needs to get to the point, basically, where he says that. Uh, my wants and desires are those of God's wants and desires, and that's you know, and that's surrendering to self. And uh, but what blind spots do I have? Uh, and and that's where you know we can we can look at uh, you know the tragedy of you know of Japheth's you know vow there, and you know and and see that maybe he was so focused on doing this, he didn't think about the consequences of that. And uh, maybe that's even with sometimes with. Things in our own life. I want this so bad. Do I think about the consequences of that decision to get that, and uh, and just give those things to God? Um, one of the things that we also see here is is that um, after this happens, there is a war within Israel. We see that in in, in chapter uh, eleven, and we see here that how how is it they de- uh, determine um, who they should kill or not kill? What what is the test that they use? Yes, yes. So, yeah, they're using their dialect. They're going to find, that's how they find out uh, if they are, you know, if they are of them or not. Um, and uh, one of the things that I think about this is that uh, we, our Hispa- uh, we had a, uh, for years here, Christ Church tried to do a, a Hispanic uh, ministry here at Christ Church. And it, it got to be too difficult, and we just learned that a lot of the um, uh, Hispanic families weren't comfortable with driving out to Christ Church. And, uh, and uh, we had a Hispanic ministry here for probably seven or eight years. And uh, um, our, uh, our, our minister that led that for the last couple of years, uh, his name is Antonio. And, and Antonio would, uh, would uh, end up being, going back to Mexico. And he basically has Christ Church of Saltillas. Is, uh, you know, we're trying to make it work here. Uh, there's a church in almost in his hometown, a house church that's running almost 100 people. And we can't even get 40 people here. We're looking at this and going, okay. But I just remember, though, when I read this about the, you know, they're going by their dialect of how they say things. You know, Antonio would, you know, he'd come up to you and he would bring up some candy. He'd say, 
uh, brother, would you like some chocolate? And I say, you mean chocolate? No, chocolate. You know, that's why he would say that. You know, so when I think about this, that's how you know you could you know just have Tonyo say a word and you'd note instantly that he definitely wasn't from around here. Uh, Martin Bravenbor was one of our worship ministers for a few years, um, and he was from South Africa, and he never said strength the way I do. He says strength. You know. And he like, strength will rise as we wait. You know, and I'm, saying, I'm like, no, it's strength, you know. And, of course, they're all laughing going, the guy from Louisiana is telling someone else how to talk, you know. And it's like, well, yeah, exactly. So, but, but you know, so how, how that word is said is how they knew. And we see here that because of that, 42,000 members, uh, you know, were destroyed. That 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 that's hard to even you know in, imagine of of how that um, of of how that battle happened, but it also begins to show us too is is that for me when I read about this we have to be careful that even that as believers in Christ uh, that we don't get to the point to where we're always battling with each other, you know and 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 watch that's something I, that I can learn from you know can learn from this uh, whenever whenever we've had some. Uh, uh, tough situations going on at the church. One of the things I watch our elders do is when they've had a lot of decisions that were pretty big and a lot of things that they have uh, had trouble making decisions on. You also see them pray for unity in those moments, you know. And uh, but sometimes we also need to pray for unity uh, in those times of victory as well, because here we see uh, Jabbath and his his people are celebrating, and someone else wants to know why they didn't get to be a part of the party, you know. And the same thing for us is, is we've got to be careful sometimes that when we see God doing some things that are amazing in some people's life, not to get caught up and going, well, why didn't I get that? And I deserve that. And I am better at this than them. And why didn't they get that? And we have to be careful with that. Again, it's those blind spots that sometimes we have to be careful of. And we can see that as, you know, as something for us all to think about. And uh, one of the things here that uh, uh, I uh, appreciate about what Keller uh, uh, was writing is, is says, uh, and this is just to kind of end the night to think about it. He says, uh, and this is something that to, to think about more than even discuss around your table at this time. He says, I reflect on how you dealt with the last unfair accusation or criticism you faced from inside or out, I mean, from outside or inside the church. Uh, how will Jebethus and Jesus' examples shape your response the next time it happens? It's just something to think about, and how do we handle that? How do we handle criticism? How do we handle? You know, I was I was taught a long time ago by a guy that uh, was executive for General Motors, and he said there's always truth in criticism. He said even if they're completely off base on the why they came to you, there's always truth there, and it's up to you to find that truth inside that criticism. And you know, and that's one of the things of where um, I have to have to make sure that I, I keep my life in a way that it's I can accept that criticism. And, and to see what's going on, you know. Um, one of the things that uh, um, I, again, I, I don't need my prayer life to be selfish, you know. Uh, I, I need to be able to accept that. And, and for us, you know, I, my prayer for us again is, is that we have homes that are authentic, that are real. Uh, I was always taught, you know, a lock only keeps an honest man honest. Uh, a crook is still going to steal, you know, if, if they get a chance. And for us... What do we look like when no one else is around? You know, when it's just us uh, and, you know, alone, what do we look like? And one of the things here that we can see is, is that uh, being authentic is, is what God wants for our life. 
and he wants us and, and, and he wants us to to love him more than than the other things again talking to students when I was a youth minister and still talking with Caleb and Shelby about this whatever you think about more than God becomes your God whatever it is whatever you think about more than God becomes your God and and it's easy for all us to get into that trap and uh uh, sometimes that's very humbling when God brings that to our attention. And uh, again, it goes back to God knows our wants, He knows our needs, and He knows our desires. Uh, and He also He knows our hurts. He knows our blind spots. Uh, he knows our strengths, and He knows our weaknesses. And uh, one of the things, again, that I that, uh, uh, just want to learn uh, from Jabatha's life is, is that... Um, even though his his life his as a kid he had a life that he was disowned by his family, but as we read through this uh, scripture, he still knew his heritage. And for us, our we all come from different backgrounds, um, but we have the ultimate Father in heaven, and His heritage is who we want to follow. And uh, and whatever our worst upbringing was and how rough it was. Um, um, our God in heaven uh, will never let us down. Our our God that we pray to today is is the same, like we said earlier, is the same God that Jebetha made the vow to. Uh, the same God that uh, created the heavens and the earth is the same God that we pray to. And sometimes we forget that. Uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Sometimes we forget how powerful and mighty our God is. And, and, and in good ways when we pray, and sometimes in bad ways when we pray. Uh, but I just encourage you uh, just to look at this life uh, that we see in the life of judges and we work to have an authentic life ourselves. Um, next week is Samson, um, is where, where we'll be diving into. A perfect time. I was about to wrap this thing up. So, uh, and, uh, But it's, it's been good being with you tonight. Um, I just want to take a moment just to pray for you. And uh, you'll be dismissed. It's about uh, almost uh, a little after quarter until eight, don't. Uh, if you have kids, don't feel like you have to go rush to go get them. You can wait a few minutes to go do that. Uh, don't feel rushed to get down there. You're like, okay, we'll we'll get them about an hour and a half. So anyway, but but uh, just again, thank you so much for your attention and being here tonight. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.